we're seeing companies really open up to the idea of embracing some of these um, new technologies to really tackle industry problems that have been there for decades. And, and some people have just learned to accept. It's almost like a learned helplessness um, sometimes. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Minitube, the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about every pig. The truth is, precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. Hello, everyone. I'm your host today, Laura Greiner, for our Swine It podcast. And today with me, I have Chris Baumgars from Every Pig. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great, thanks. I'm happy to uh, be here and join the conversation. Well, we're excited to have you here today. So, Chris, a lot of our audience may not be familiar with you. Would you mind giving just a little bit of background about who you are and, and what you're uh, doing today? Sure. So, um, I grew up in a town called Orange City in northwest Iowa, right in the heart of pig country. I think probably the last census of two County Iowa was maybe around 35,000 people, and I think there may be over a million and a half pigs in two County. Um, my dad is a veterinarian. He started the Orange City Veterinary Clinic. So a lot of um, my background as a kid growing up was running calls with him um, from vaccinating cattle and, and pouring ivermectoron on their on their backs or um, vaccinating pigs and loading market hogs, all things like that. I grew up in town, but um, I did have a lot of exposure to the farms um, and never really thought that I was going to get into agriculture or, or family business. Um, I went on to study international business. Um, and after a quick stint in um, Central America, after graduation, I saw an opportunity um, to start working with a company my dad had started, um, RC Family Farms, where uh, he was starting to own pigs with some of his customers that were having a hard time staying in business as small to mid-sized um, pork producers. And that's really where, um, I guess, my baptism into the industry started. Um, back in 2008, and I focused for 10 years on um, doing everything I could to scale the company. And we had a lot of success during those 10 years, and, and we 
scaled from raising pigs on 30 to over 350 farms, um, which was really exciting. It's, it's fun. We learned a lot about, I learned a lot about the industry. Um, I was buying most of the pigs off the spot market. So um, I, I did a lot of cutting my teeth on, on getting um, pig deals done on ISO weans and feeder pigs. Although feeder pigs became pretty scarce pretty early on into my career, it, it moved to only really being able to buy ISO weans for the most part. Um, but during that time, there came a point where we kind of realized that the growth wasn't as controlled as we needed it to be. And, and there were a lot of cases where caregivers would tell us that they maybe weren't receiving the support from us that they needed. And we were hearing maybe from veterinarians and some field managers that they weren't getting the communications they needed from the caregivers. And the result of all this is more dead pigs than you need to have. Um, which is bad for a number of reasons, obviously financial, um, but also in terms of animal health and welfare, I started to believe that we could be doing a better job. And so um, I looked into the processes of how we were collecting this important health and treatment information. And like everyone else, you know, we were using paper barn sheets. Um, these paper barn sheets many times are getting faxed into an office once a month where someone in the back office will enter the mortality numbers into a historical database and then the information gets stored away in a filing cabinet never to be seen and the pigs are dead and so um that was really the genesis of every pig is is um starting to realize that that was a, an industry-wide problem um the, the real-time communications and response and recognition to health problems and um, that's when i started working on creating a software program called every pig um, to help the industry really get on top of these uh, important pig health um, challenges that we're having and communicate better with directly with the farm. And I think that's a, a great background and is certainly one I think we all recognize is even outside of the swine industry, any time a business goes through a period of growth, there's almost a plateau, right? A recognition of what do we need to fix or do better before we can take that next step up. So I think that's a, a really great lead into just kind of that conversation today about, you know, what what is that next step up? So you're you're talking today about data management and certainly animal health. And so when we think about that, uh, we think about our veterinarians and and being an integral part in that. But biosecurity can can sometimes hamper. Are veterinarians getting out to see all the sick farms for the day, right? So it might take a couple of days from a biosecurity perspective. So what do you see going forward that can help us all manage that health and that connection with our veterinarians, in particular when we think about biosecurity? Um, yeah, so there are a lot of a lot of interesting points made in there, and, and um, I'm excited to kind of dive into some of those. I think when you look at the the reality of most um, practicing swine veterinarians in the industry, you don't see too many of them who are saying that they don't have enough to do and they have too many hours in the day. These veterinarians are stretched thin and it's whether you know, you're an independent veterinary practice or if you're a veterinarian um, practicing in-house, um, maybe for a, a pork producer, across the board, um, veterinarians are stressed out and they are um, feel like they maybe don't have all the tools they need to cover all the farms that are under their purview. And um, there are tools out there. I kind of look at every pig. In fact, we had one um, 
potential customer tell us uh, on a on a demo after showing them the platform like wow we're out here plowing the fields by hand and and this looks like you just showed us a shiny new tractor and i said well that's exactly right like jump on in like get on board and and start helping your um start helping your team and and your caregivers but i think you know there are a few things where technology is going to help we've got the rural veterinary shortage um, and that's not just an American problem. That's, that's a problem globally. Um, a lot of these companies have told us over the years, and I saw it in my former business, that it was hard to attract veterinary talent, even 10, 15 years ago already, um, to come move to some of these smaller towns where a lot of um, pork producers are based. And um, more and more, it seems veterinarians prefer to stay near metropolitan areas or, or um, areas that maybe have a little larger population and don't want to move their families. Um, and I think that's an area where telemedicine is really opening up a lot of doors. For example, we're starting to see companies that couldn't hire a vet get a veterinarian to move to their hometown, but they had great veterinary skills, they had the right experience, the right attitude, it was a good cultural fit, but they just didn't want to uproot their families from the town that they were living in. And um, our customers on every pig are hiring some of these veterinarians now and allowing them to stay a few hours, maybe a, a hundred, uh, hundreds of miles away from the actual farms um, because they're online and they're recognizing and responding to these problems in real time. Um, and so it really opens up telemedicine helps to open up uh, opportunities for companies that are having a hard time attracting talent. So. Those are a couple of the areas that um, we're starting to see technology making an impact. Yeah, I think telemedicine too, if we just look uh, universally, is, is really changed, and particularly with the face of COVID, um, even on the human side, right? We're seeing more and more telemedicine, teletherapy being available. And so it's not, I guess, surprising that our veterinarians should be thinking that direction. Uh, obviously, they need to be mindful of state and local requirements from a licensing and practicing perspective in, in doing that. But what are some pieces to that telemedicine that um, our veterinarians and producers can take advantage of to help solve a problem? Well, we see a lot of customers end up having a triage-like situation. They may have a couple veterinarians on staff, maybe one veterinarian and, and field staff. Um, and we're not trying to completely replace farm visits. I think there's, for the foreseeable future, always going to be a need um, for farms to be visited. But there are just limitations, as you mentioned earlier, biosecurity being one of them, um, that don't allow or shouldn't allow um, people to be visiting uh, a numerous amounts of farms where there are health challenges in the same day or, or the same week. It's just not very biosecure and, and um, telemedicine offers a way for veterinarians to cover 30, 50, maybe even 100 cases a day versus driving to one, two or three farms a day. And so there's a real efficiency gain to be had in a, in a much more biosecure fashion. Um, you mentioned COVID, which has forced us all in, in our industry, biosecurity a concept that's been around for a long time. It's not a new term for us, but all of a sudden, you know, a year and a half ago, it entered the public dialogue. And we started to think about biosecurity on a human to human level and, and also um, potentially on a zoonotic level. And 
biosecurity um, not being around or not being close to people um, can really be uh, uh, something that gives us more efficiency. Um, and it's kind of counterintuitive because a lot of people in our, our industry is very relationship-based and relationship-oriented. And I think you can enhance some of those relationships using telemedicine um, and also stay more biosecure. And I, I do think um, since COVID, we've seen uh, more companies come on board and more companies really embrace that change to say, you know what, these are there are tools out there that exist that can help us become much more efficient and we just have to be open to embracing the change and pick up the tools at our disposal. Are you ready for the most innovative web conference of the swine industry? Swine Talks, the TED Talks of the global swine industry on October 6th and 7th, 2021, with over 25 internationally renowned speakers who will deliver powerful and engaging talks. Reserve now your spot at swinetalks.com. So for me, for example, when I was, you know, going through, we're all in our quarantine for COVID. Um, if I had a doctor's appointment, right, I'd pick up the phone, we'd be on Zoom, talk about symptoms, et cetera. And, and then of course, go about whatever diagnosis, prescription, et cetera. So how does that work from a veterinary perspective? Is it the same? Are they, do we have a producer in the barn or an animal caretaker in the barn on a phone doing a Zoom call with the vet? Is it pictures? Is it uploading video? What does a typical telemedicine visit look like? Yeah, good question. Um, so right now we're collecting photos, videos, symptomatic information on a daily basis. So all the information that are traditionally going on to paper barn sheets and much more um, are being collected by caregivers that are filling out these digital daily checkups once, twice, sometimes three times a day if they're really um, on top of things and spending a lot of time in the barn. Um, and so what veterinarians are doing is that information, the important information, gets centralized into what we call a farm feed, which looks and acts a lot like a Facebook news feed. Um, some people are calling us the Facebook of pork production because we, we sort of borrowed some of those functionalities because that's how our minds are learning to digest a lot of information right now. You see the same thing on LinkedIn, for example. Um, these feeds are important and, and there's a lot of psychology um, behind how they function and how we work with them. So veterinarians are spending time on the farm feed. They're getting alerts when um, events that cross a certain threshold, it may be mortality, it may be symptomatic information. And this is a really big one, right? Because hearing about mortalities is one thing. And yes, that's a big problem. But symptomatic information also is going to be even, I would argue, more important because it can help you avoid the mortality problems. Um, and so we're collecting that information. And so veterinarians may see um, an event come through on the farm feed and get an alert. And they'll take a look into uh, probably some context around the event. So what was happening on the farm yesterday, which now they have digital access to instead of having um, to maybe call and chase down a producer to get information. When in the meantime, they have 15 other phone calls and text messages coming in. And, and it's just hard to remember all this stuff. So we present all the information in a couple of clicks um, for the veterinarians. And most of the time, what they're doing is using photos and videos coming directly from the caregivers um, to oftentimes make diagnosis in the app. And I know you've got a large veterinary audience, so I, I learned to be careful um, uh, on that word. But what we see happening in the field is 99, 95% plus of the diagnosis 
um, that are being made are not getting lab confirmation. And um, so we have separated into two different types of diagnosis in the app, a clinical and, and a lab confirmed um, diagnosis. And, and some veterinarians choose to make the diagnosis in the app. Um, and when they do that, the caregivers and field managers associated with that farm are automatically alerted um, to what the diagnosis was. And they may also uh, add some treatment recommendation there. But um, the photos and videos are incredibly helpful. And, and really, one of the coolest things for me to see as a former producer when we launched um, Every Pig at RC Family Farms was just looking at closeout reports never gives the full story of what actually happened on the farm, right? You could have some very tough sources of pigs that got cycled two or three times to a really good caregiver who might have done a great job with the pigs, but the mortality numbers and feed conversion might not confirm that. And one of the cool things we saw when we turned on every pig at RC um, was the stickiness and the, the communications with our growers really improved a lot. And a lot of those caregivers that we thought maybe were kind of C-level caregivers, we saw them become A and B-level caregivers because they were getting veterinary responses. And one of the interesting things along those lines were when they would get a veterinary response, we saw most caregivers are more than willing to do a postmortem. Most caregivers will say if they get a response, they don't want to just cut open a pig and do the work for no reason. But when they get a response from these veterinarians, you see the engagement from caregivers um, go up dramatically. And so that, that was something that's really encouraging um, for us to see uh, with our user base. That's very interesting. So one of the other things that keeps popping into my head along with this is, so are you merging in um, data that's being kept from other systems that might be in the barn, right? So some of our our controllers today are recording the water usage and feed deliveries and so forth every day. So is that getting merged into that information that the veterinarian is getting? Yeah, we're also pulling in, aside from some of the fields that I mentioned earlier, we're also pulling in water consumption and barn high-low temps. And we take that, our system takes that in in two ways. Users can manually enter um, this information or we can pull it in via API. Um, we formed integrations with a few different controller companies out there. Um, some of them have been more willing to share information than others. Um, but I would say one of the companies that we've worked with in the past is AP Edge um, with their controllers. And we're in talks right now with a new um, company that I think is going to be pretty interesting, um, Barn Tools. And they've got um, new sensors that are coming out into the market. I think they just launched this summer. Um, that are going to be pretty cost effective and look like they're easy to install. And so um, we're looking at an integration with them as well. And, and I think, you know, the, the point you were maybe getting at was just giving the veterinarian all the context they need um, to make these decisions. And anything that's related to pig health is something that um, we're really focused on and, and on our roadmap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that I, I always think about is water, right? Water intake goes down, it's usually a pretty good cue that we've got a problem in the barn. And so getting those alerts ahead of time or you know, at the time that we recognize that there is a decrease can certainly save lives when, when we're thinking about sick pigs and identifying a problem. So that was why I asked the question. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because I, in my experience there are two types of people in our industry, especially those who wanna know about and fix the problems 
and those that want to stick their heads in the sand. And frankly, most people don't want to be aware about most of their problems in their system. It's just the reality. They don't want to know about it because they're overwhelmed. They feel like they might not even have the resources to respond to those problems. But increasingly, companies are becoming aware um, that they need to really take a look at, at, at their mortality numbers. We need to finish mortality numbers that have been pretty stagnant in the industry since before since when I started and even before working in the business, um, you know, companies have, a lot of them have become pretty complacent about seven to 10% wean to finish mortality uh, in the U S. And, and I think um, that's a mistake. And when you look at um, the opportunity cost alone on that pig today, it's worth, I, I don't I haven't looked in the last couple of weeks, but almost $250 a market pig in the United States. And so these companies are losing massive amounts of, of dollars and the ones that determine, um, hey, we know we have a problem and maybe everyone else has the problem, but it doesn't mean it's not a problem. Um, and, and then they start to take a look at it. So we're, we're seeing companies really open up to the idea of an, embracing some of these um, new technologies to really tackle industry problems that have been there for decades. And, and some people have just learned to accept. It's almost like a learned helplessness um, sometimes. One of the other things that we always thought about too was really about um, predicting in a barn, right? So it's not everybody has that luxury where you're always getting the same source of pigs into the same barn. But for those that are, you know, certainly we can see some pretty predictable patterns emerge over time. So I always pick on mycoplasma lameness in the finisher. And we would know, for example, in our research barn at at 12 weeks in, we needed to start paying really close attention for lameness and stay on top of it so that we didn't have a significant issue. Does, does your data management system also work on something like that? Um, because I think that's important, right? And I think that's a piece of yeah. an industry we need to keep working on. And our, our veterinarians do a great job of talking about historical, but again, to be able to put that somewhere where they can recognize source and, and location and and keep that information flowing, I think is really important. Yeah, I completely agree. And in, in, in my former um, career as a pork producer, we were owning and raising pigs from over 250 different sources um, that were external. And so imagine how many help and raising most of those pigs in Northwest Iowa, which is, an, for those that don't know, an incredibly pig dense um, area where diseases spread fast. And so we had a real unique set of challenges um, in, in managing those things. But I think you're absolutely right in that um, giving access to the information, doing things like looking at water consumption um, and, and recognizing those challenges is, is something that can move the ball forward. Um, and getting back to the water consumption point, we have a functionality inside of every pig um, that allows uh, admins to set a threshold for a change in daily consumption that triggers a farm feed event and notifications to go out. And um, that's something that our users have really found valuable when they kind of want to turn up the sensitivity levels um, on their um, production with their production team. Some companies that are just starting out maybe don't want to um, use that kind of functionality yet because, again, it, they might feel like it's overwhelming and it's too many problems. But um, best practices, what we see, people are really paying close attention to those water consumption numbers because you know better than I do as a veterinarian, but I'm told oftentimes 
that water consumption shift or decrease most of the time will happen before symptoms are even being shown. Um, and so it's all about getting that veterinarian, the right veterinarian, the access to the information and alerting them about the problem earlier on. I mean, just imagine catching COVID on day one versus day 60 or 90 or whenever we ended up really becoming aware to the problem. We have that ability inside the swine industry right now. Um, we're collecting much more data than your doctor knows about you um, for sure. And so veterinarians have contacts. They have the context that they need. Um, source information, which you mentioned. So also very important, getting back to the um, point on, you know, we were raising pigs from over 250 sources a, a year, and that was a lot for veterinarians and our caregivers to manage. And um, those sources, as you've mentioned, most of the time they have trends where you can count on certain things are going to happen with this um, source of pigs at a certain time. And we do visualize that information in terms of mortalities and symptoms on a source level inside every pig as well. And so that's some context that um, veterinarians are finding really useful to have at their fingertips. What are some challenges with telemedicine? What are you seeing as some of the bigger roadblocks to, to doing this more effectively or, or consistently across the industry? I don't, I'm not sure if there are any challenges at all. <laughs> To, to, to be frank, I think there, you know, there are a few. Some of the first ones that pop to mind is, um, I think the perception of liability for veterinarians is um, something that's on a lot of independent veterinarians' minds is, is saying, they're saying, you know, how do we stay compliant with VCPR um, for our state using or not using telemedicine? Um, I think that's really become a non-issue. I've never heard of any enforcement happening with companies that um, are collecting as much information as they are in every pig, um, having any sort of problem. They, these veterinarians, our users have access to so much more information than veterinarians that don't have the system that it's, it's really easy to defend. Um, but I think the FDA is um, shown once COVID hit, they came out with um, some announcements about relaxing um, the enforcement of that physical on-site farm visit um, and in support of telemedicine. And I think that was a temporary measure, but hopefully that's something that um, they'll really put to rest for people here in the near future. So I think um, that's one of the challenges. I think another challenge that we see is it's hard to, to teach an old dog new tricks. And some of these companies and, and our industries and aging industry, um, unfortunately, it's always great to see younger people jumping in. Um, but if, if a caregiver or a field manager has been writing things on paper for 40 years, they take a little bit of convincing um, to learn, hey, let's take five minutes and learn how to do this inside of a digital platform. Um, and once they're on board, uh, we see 95% of users, and I'm talking users from their teens to in their 70s, being able to come on board every pig and never needing any human interaction or explanation at all. So I think a lot of, um, one of the challenges here is a lot of companies are really underestimating the tech savviness of their teams and of their caregivers. Um, because from what we've seen, most of the caregivers love the re quicker response time they're getting from veterinarians. They want to share with you what's going on in the farm, but they want to make sure it's being heard and being responded to. 
So those are a couple of the challenges I see. I think one maybe last one to touch on would be, um, it's unfortunate, but a lot of these farms, even in not so rural Iowa, have um, receptivity, reception challenges. And so I think um, spreading the cell phone towers and internet access um, to make sure it hits these all of these farms is something um, that's going to be really important in the future. We have an offline mode built, which allows users to enter information even when they don't have um, a signal. And when they get back to an area with signal, it automatically uploads. Uh, and that's, that's definitely helped. Um, but we've, we've got to get more um, connectivity out to the farms. It's, it's definitely still a challenge here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was my big one that I can think of right off the bat is not every facility is going to have Wi-Fi or cell phone reception. So making sure we have the ability to access technology is, is always going to be a challenge in those areas. So, um, and I, I agree, we need to make sure that veterinarians as they're working through telemedicine, that they're following all their state and local guidelines as far as establishing appropriate VCPRs and, and keeping that current. So um, very good on, on the challenges. A, a, a final one that just popped into mind that might be worth discussing too is, you know, for the independent veterinary clinics, they're not, their business model typically isn't billing um, for their veterinary brain power. It's billing for maybe a physical farm visit. I drove an hour and a half to get to this farm and then I posted two pigs and then I wrote them the script for their medication. Um, and I think the, the mindset of a shift to more of a service level agreement um, with their customers is something that's going to take a little bit of time. And, and I think we're starting to see more independent veterinary practices becoming open to it. Um, but I think there's a lot of resistance to change coming from the business model, which I think telemedicine is going to open up so many opportunities for these veterinary clinics to consult all over the world. Um, and also to have their veterinarians cover at least 10 times more farms every day. But shifting the mentality away from that charging for that physical on-site visit to maybe it's a service level agreement where the expectations are set during office hours, you can expect a response from us within an hour or two hours um, inside the platform. And I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for more billable hours and for veterinarians to really leverage their brain power as opposed to um, driving around the countryside, which is where a lot of time is getting spent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good point. Well, I kind of see that our time is wrapping up. So are there some key points that you would like our audience to think about today as, as we wrap up our discussion on telemedicine and where we're headed as an industry? Yeah, I think, you know, COVID's taught us all a lot. Um, It's shown us how vulnerable, you know, we are and how fast things can change. And the companies that are, some companies are doing very, very well um, since the pandemic. And these are companies that are adapting really quickly. And um, I know there's a lot of comfort in the status quo, but I would challenge our industry um, you look at increased packer regulations, for example, their, their packers are requiring more and more information from their um, suppliers. Animal health and welfare is something that can, it's on the forefront of almost all consumers' minds right now. And, you know, not a lot of companies in our industry are taking serious action, in my opinion, to actually move animal health and welfare forward. 
And it's going to take a willingness to adapt new technologies. And it's also going to help them become much more efficient and maybe help attract that younger generation to come on into the industry by saying like, look, we're not so antiquated anymore. We're using some pretty cutting edge tools here um, to do our job. And I think that'll really help with the talent acquisition component that a lot of companies are um, being really challenged with right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think anything we can do to help with labor and and help enhance the skill set of the labor that we do have is, is going to be valuable. Certainly, we know there are more and more people interested in agriculture that don't come from those ag backgrounds. And so they have lost, if you will, some of the animal husbandry skills that so many of us just grew up with, right? We were always on the farm. We always saw what was happening in various directions. And so I think anytime we can provide technology to help bridge that gap is going to be critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good. It is time to our famous three. Vivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Ivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So as we wrap up our podcast, as you know, we like to ask a couple of uh, common questions to our guest speakers. The first one we like to ask is, do you have a favorite swine resource book? Um, that's interesting. I, you know, I've, I've read some interesting books, um, that probably are not going to touch on the, on the veterinary or animal health level, but, um, there's a book called the chain, which, which I find found really interesting. I think it was Ted Genoways. Maybe I might be mispronouncing that name. Um, that was pretty interesting kind of talking about the structure and the conglomerates inside the industry and how that influences the industry. And, and I think that's a pretty um, relevant book today as we are starting to hear more about potentially executive action um, that, that might shake up our industry a little bit here. And, and whatever ends up happening, I hope it benefits the consumer and, and the small, mid-sized, and even large um, independent family producers in this country because they've really had a hard time um, staying in business. You know, when you looked at COVID, for example, um, a lot of companies small and large, had a really hard time getting their pigs to market, which was financially pretty devastating. There were some bailouts that helped the smaller companies um, get through that, uh, but that definitely was a challenge that, that should be on um, everyone's mind and, and thinking about, you know, how do we make sure that um, our food supply is something that's secure, something that's produced by, um, I think increasingly we'll see it more produced by American-owned companies inside the United States. Um, but yeah, I would say the chain is, is definitely an interesting, um, book to take a look at. And I'm, I'm very interested in artificial intelligence and, and all things AI. And there was a book written by Kai Fu Lee called, um, I think it was AI superpowers. And he talks about, um, how AI is being embraced and used in China and versus the United States. And, um, we'd like to think we're at the forefront in all these areas, but when you look at some of these countries in Asia, China specifically, they are picking up new technologies really, really fast. And so I think um, we need to be keenly aware that it's a global marketplace and a global competition. Uh, and the companies that 
um, are embracing the new ways that are more efficient are going to be the companies that stay competitive globally over the long term. I think those are some really interesting books we'll have to pick up. I know there's been a couple of different AI books I've I've heard over the, the last six months that I have yet to read. So I'll add that to my list. Are there any other books that you like to read in your free time that aren't pig and work related? Um, yeah, I'm not spending a lot of time on fiction these days. Um, I'm, I'm kind of geek out on software, um, software as a service type books and, and just how to be running a better company. Um, I was gifted a book called Giftology recently that is not industry related, but it talks about the importance and value of gift giving. Um, which is really interesting, and that that's um, actually had a, an effect on my um, some actions and our gift giving at every pig um, with our customers in, in uh, the last month or so. So I think giftology is also um, a pretty interesting one to read, and it's a super easy read, and really pretty basic concepts, but a great reminder of the, the value of gift giving. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to look into that one as well. So the last question I have for you, Chris, today is, is really around when you think about people that you define as successful, what are is one or two characteristics that, that you recognize and that's common across those individuals? Great question. I think the people that I see and know who are most successful have an inner peace about them. And, and I think that's something that really should be thought of as a key component to what actual success is. Um, I can tell you from, from growing a company that was scaling really fast, you know, being able to react and respond really quickly is important, but it can be absolutely exhausting if you're just a reactor um, your entire life. And so when I think about some of the, the people in our industry specifically that um, are what, what I would call successful, I, I, I'm not sure if you've had him on in your podcast, but one of um, our customers, uh, Dr. Jim Pillen, who's now running for governor in, in Nebraska. Um, if you look at his career and some of the things he's done, I think he, he seems to delegate um, really efficiently, you know, and um, encourage and support people a lot. And those are some of the characteristics, I think, of, of solid leadership and um, success that should really be considered. So. I think you got to be working on something that really gives you a peace of mind and feel genuine purpose, whatever that is. Um, you want to be good at what you're doing, but once you know it has purpose, um, I think that's something that can truly make you successful. I think that's an awesome response. Certainly finding purpose is, is extremely valuable in everything we do. Well, again, Chris, I want to thank you for your time today and your insight. I think this has been very useful and, and valuable time to talk about where we're headed in terms of veterinary medicine and maybe some of the lessons learned from COVID that have been on the positive side um, that can help push our industry into some, some new directions. So uh, again, for our audience, um, this is Chris Baumgars with Every Pig. And again, Chris, we want to thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. Have a great day. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas.
Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.